substance equals spin The propagandas win Stress feeding on my attention My countrymen, they love their fiction Words are now This way with good intentions Welcome to One of Two Hundred Your independent, mostly uh, No, completely independent uh, Politics and Media Podcast We're back for another episode of current events after our, our midweek podcast that came out on Saturday uh, with Dieter Deboni about the changing media ecosystem and the influence industry. Uh, go have a listen to that if you haven't already. So much stuff to talk about this week, but it is once again in events overseas, more so than what's happening here in Aotearoa. I'm joined by special guest Zaran Southam. How are you doing, Zaran? Uh, Kyle and to the listeners of Aotearoa, uh, my name is Zran Tufaretua Southern. I'm an artist and a teacher in Tamaki Makaurau. Um, my whanau is from Tirangi, from the iwi. Ngāti Tūwhare Toa, uh, my whānau were born and raised in the rohe of Ngāti Tūwhare Toa under the maunga Tongariro, ko Tongariro te maunga, ko Taupo Nui Atea te moana, ko Ngāti Tūwhare Toa tiwi, ko Ngāti Karaui te hapū. Uh, that is my pepaha. It is something that is deep within the realms of uh, my people of Ngāti Karaui and Tukanu. That is two kilometers outside of Tūrangi. Um, I come today hopefully able to add a perspective from my upbringing, from my background. Uh, my background through my uh, Māori ancestry is connected to the Jewish world as well. My whānau is from, my Jewish whānau is from Tauranga. And uh, the our Jewish ethnic heritage has been a very important part of our life. So kia ora rawa, atu ki a koutou, uh, ngā mihi uh, e hoa. Thank you, Kyle. Kia ora, Yeah, I guess um, this week's events really start on the weekend. We've had a Palestine solidarity process, calls for a ceasefire every week for the last four or five weeks now. And the big uh, news taking up the top slot in a lot of the media through Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I think. Uh, and, and we talked about this before the cast because we were we were both at this at this march was the use of the phrase from the river to the sea uh, by Green MP Chloe Schwabrick that followed the um, I, I, like really embarrassing situation with Phil Twyford on the same stage where he I think the best way to describe it he he stood up in front of this this crowd of people calling for a ceasefire um who are there in solidarity with Palestinians um and the people of Gaza and tried to both sides what was what was happening or at least couch what he was saying in, in those kind of terms um it was kind of booed 
<laughs> off the stage and, and had to leave. Um, and then Chloe um, and Green and Peace got on the stage and just had a really, it was a really good speech. Um, and I think much better suited the energy and the moment of of why people were there. And then it, <laughs> I, I, I don't know how to describe the way mm. that it just got picked up as this really nasty story. Now, I, I think everyone would have seen by now who's, who's following this. And even if you're it's kind of more on the periphery um, of your, your news diet, the intentional misconstruing of what from the river to the sea means. Mm. And there are, there are varied levels, how extreme that, that gets uh, anything from like, Oh, it might be offensive to some people. Okay, fine. Uh, to it's an outright call for genocide itself. What was your, I guess, what was your response first being there uh, at at the protest, um, and then in the preceding days as we saw this this news cycle pick it up? Yeah, well, I've been um, going to the Gaza protests um, for some time now, and if I recall the um, 2014 um, Gaza protests, you would think that there would have been change after um, the atrocities that were committed um, on Gaza during those times. You had speakers there like uh, the Holocaust survivor, Gunther Warner, and I was watching his video and it was almost uh, prophetic what he was saying in that video about um, what, or the, in his words, the, uh, the final solution of Israel for the Palestinian people. Subsequently, um, in the last four or five weeks, and in uh, protests in general, um, I started in Ihu Matau trying to document protests through, uh, because I'm a painter, I've uh, adapted to the visual medium of using photography to try and capture these historical moments. Um, so four or five weeks ago, I went to the first uh, marches um, and they've just grown exponentially over the uh, those several weeks. And as you, you've noted, and I think um, last week, uh, the media failed to um, accurately um, identify the numbers, the large numbers at um, those um, rallies as well. So on the Saturday um, rally at the Auckland Domain, I think it's important to um, contextualise before Phil Twyford um, came onto the stage, we had amazing, heart-wrenching speeches by Abigail from Dayenu, the Jewish activist, uh, Palestinian um, solidarity group, and uh, Tamim as well, as it Shultamni. Um, apologies for my uh, pronunciation. And in that speech, he speaks of the, he spoke of the exodus of his grandparents. People were in tears in the crowd in 1948, the, the exodus the expulsion of his parents um, from Palestine, and they lived out their final years in Jordan. Um, he spoke of the massacres, the horrific conditions that they endured under Israeli fire um, during the dark nights, making, un as a parent, um, unimaginable decisions to... Yeah, I'm not too sure how to actually broach the topic because it's quite sensitive. Um, and it's, I just encourage people to front up to these rallies to hear Palestinian voices because I believe that is not expressed enough uh, within the media. 
um, environment in particular, listening to those voices. And then you have, straight after the Tamim um, speech, you had Phil Twyford go onto the stage like a bureaucrat, bureaucrat, politician, and as people pointed out, failed to read the room. Now, there are probably many reasons why people heckled him and booed. My particular opinion is that it was distasteful and disrespectful from a Māori tikanga point of view. I've been on a journey of te reo Māori, reclaiming our te reo Māori, whai kōrero, um, and our own Ngāti Tūwhare Tō, we're boosting the paipai for those that do not know what the paipai is. That's the special orator's seat um, on the marae to welcome visitors to the marae, usually designated for elders. So from a tikanga Māori point of view, he failed to acknowledge the speakers before him. He failed to acknowledge his constituency, which was predominantly a migrant community. And I think also put into context, in the same time, the um, over the last month, we've been there's been the uh, investigation investigation into what happened at the at the in March fifteenth, the North Mosque uh, massacres. And I can't imagine what the um, Muslim community is feeling at the moment because it is a through. Actions like Phil Twyford and the actions of the media afterwards, even blaming Chloe Swarsbrook and the subsequent anti-Semitic um, accusations thrown at the pro-Palestinian community. I can't imagine how the uh, Muslim feel, uh, community is feeling isolated from, and I, I want to underline this, the establishment in, in Aotearoa. And I think we can see the same tactics that have been used against the Palestinian solidarity movement um, that were used against Corbyn in, in the UK as well. Um, from within his own Labour Party, uh, from Keir Starmer and the likes. When I saw the speech of Phil Twyford, it did remind me of the, the bureaucrat, the managerial style of politics that the centre-left, um, uh, extreme centre-left, have uh, adopted and that has, um, you know, like um, the late David Graeber saw it as the managerial class within the centre politics that lost the, um, you know, that was a disaster for Brexit as well. Whole the the Red Wall, the Labour Party. You know, you might want to edit that edit that out. Sorry, Carl. But yeah. So with Chloe Swarsbrook. I didn't actually see her speech because I went to see, um, see what was happening in behind the rotunda as Phil Twyford left. He was very argumentative. There was one gentleman trying to explain to him passionately, um, giving his perspective, and then a number of individuals went to argue with him. He was arguing as well. He came in like a school teacher. And I noticed in the last two days, I would have thought he would have done an apology. Um, he's written an opinion piece and still gaslighting the situation, um, seeing both sides and a lecturing tone to a people that have lived and breathed 75 years of a brutal occupation. It's, it's quite astounding, really. Um, it's, yeah. Yeah, astounding, but like, I'm not sure anyone was really surprised, right? Mm. Oh, I mean, I say that, but people gasped when he's like before the kind of booze started. Mm. People, I'm not surprised he has 
he has those views or that approach. I'm surprised he got up on the stage and and did that. Yeah, it makes you wonder if he was even listening prior, and that says a lot as well. You know, he just got on, on stage, didn't acknowledge the um, last speech makers, and so he was just ticking a box, which is the standard thing for a lot of these career politicians. Yeah. But why well. even turn up if you're going to do mm. that, eh? Mm. So you, you didn't see um, the, the majority of, of Chloe's speech, but you would have seen the media coverage of it, I imagine, in the mm. following days. Mm-hmm. We've done, we've got a, a clip up on our Instagram from Justine Sachs talking about the, the phrase from the river to the sea and how it's a call for liberation. Um, and, you know, you've, I mean, we've alluded to it and, and talked explicitly about it over the last few weeks, but from the 75 years of occupation and apartheid liberation from that bird, like in uh, between these two landmarks, and yet it's being smeared. And I, I don't, I feel, I feel like there should be a stronger word and people using it are being smeared as genocidal themselves. Mm. And it just feels like outright projection at this stage and it's lazy intellectualism you know when you think about where they use from the river to the sea they try to um go to the original founding text of hamas charter in 1988 which we all know was um under duress during a bombardment and that their charters have gone through many reiterations since 1988 um if you point out the recent 2017 charter they express their, their, their condemnation of the state of Israel and that they, if, uh, to paraphrase, they still want a land where Jews and Palestinians exist side by side as they once did um, if we go back to the late 1890s, early part of the 20th century, um, when um, Jews numbered 15,000 out of the half a million Palestinians in um, Palestine. They lived communally and lived side by side together. And this has been well documented as well. One thing that I've, I've found interesting when the Zionist movement came about in the 19th century uh, through a lot of um, the British colonial administrations and aristocracy of, of Britain, you had Zionists within, uh, sorry, the, the Haredi um, Jewish community in Palestine, actively fighting side by side with with Palestinians um, against the British and Zionist um, project. You know, when I think of Pape highlighted this in a lot of his writing about the Rabbi Yosef Sonnenfeld, he referred to Zionists as evil men and ruffians, um, especially referring to the Jewish Zionist founder Theodore Herzl. To quote Sonnenfeld, Hal had entered the land of Israel with Herzl. And again, it, it, I think this highlights the disconnect by um, some of, you know, I, I'm speaking here from my Māori Jewish identity, from our other Jewish brothers in New Zealand that are using their political ideology of Zionism to suppress voices within Judaism and left-wing voices and Palestinian. Palestinian solidarity voices as well. Um, so referring to Chloe's use of uh, from the river to the sea, in the context of that, they've chosen to um, pick a 
something that was said back in 1988, but then the long history of um, from the river to the sea goes back to um, prior to the PLO in the 1960s. And it has been said so many times within the movement, within scholarly um, research, it is um, an expression of um, freedom and equal civil rights, free, free Palestine. And when I first came across the, the from the river to the sea and in Whaikōrero, especially learning Whaikōrero. Um, in Whaikōrero, it is traditional, you know, open your mihi um, with a tau parapara that identifies yourself with your iwi. Go into the main body of the kōrero, acknowledging ancestors, acknowledging your place within the community, and then talking about whatever the purpose of the day is. And usually finishing, or this could be weaved in, in throughout the whaikōrero, or even put in the tau parapara in the beginning, that's um, is about your identity, is putting in a whakatauki. And a whakatauki is a proverb, and... Um, I liken the from the river to the sea to the my makatu ki tongariro. My makatu ki tongariro is from the mountain to the sea. It is a proverb that we use in Ngāti Tuwhare Toa. It expresses our affiliations to the past. It was brought on the first voyages to Aotearoa in the 14th century by our tohunga, the high priest, Ngātoroirangi. He landed at makatu near Tauranga ventured in towards the land and climbed the peaks of Tongariro and brought the fires from Hawaii to warm his body from his sisters. Now that has historical significance for us. It gives a geographical mapping of the domain of Aotearoa for Māori. And also it has become, I've noticed over the years, more of an expression by not only whaikōrero makers, but just Māori trying to um, express ourselves, um, to find equal rights for ourselves within the present racist environment that we experience, that we're still fighting the colonial project. Got it. Yeah, it's... And I, I think anyone hearing it said and and being in these protests and hearing this chant and seeing the the way in which it is presented immediately gets a sense of that, whether they know the on paper um, or, or oral tradition of it. And yeah, there's just been no interrogation of that at all, to, to a large extent. You know, right. it, it seemed to have been well, on either uh, Palestinians to try and find space for this, although, you know, try, there's been maybe one or two Palestinian voices given a platform in, a, in, in New Zealand media so far. Mm. But predominantly, the cut-through has come from Jewish groups, um, like they and you, like um, alternative Jewish voices, uh, who are standing in solidarity uh, mm. with Palestinians and saying, this is not what it means. You know, I we are okay with this being said because it's almost as if, that's all that's seen as appropriate. Uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't know if, tell me if I'm out of line here, but it feels as if the way that media is approaching this is we've got these extreme Zionist voices making a, making a claim, um, about what this means, smearing the, the phrase. And the only voices allowed are other Jewish voices because otherwise, <laughs> People feel like they get into trouble for it. And that's just not, a, but at a baseline, that's not a healthy place to be. Mm, mm. And 
I think what gets forgotten about as well is the defence from Zionists of a, you know, we've known it for the last several years. The Kud Party is uh, basically Knesset is. Uh, run by far-right fascists. Um, you know, in 1999, the Likud Party, no one talks about, um, you know, their the explicit intention within their charter in 1999 is to um, destroy Palestine. And, you know, what is, they have their similar slogan, Pal- Palestine, uh, no Palestinian state um, west of the Jordan River. Yeah, it's the complete destruction of Palestine. And then at the same time, we have members within that parliament talking about the destruction of Gaza or um, using the option of nuking Gaza as well. That was, I, I cannot believe that that is out there. Like, mm. I, I think there are a couple of people now um, from Knesset who have who have made statements around that, mm. and that should have immediately shut just shut shut things down. Like that's it. Mm. Like that. It's so out the gate. That's so far beyond. Mm. Like, mm. and you know, where were their voices when Netanyahu met met with Trump? Where were their voices then? talking about anti-Semitism. Yeah, and it's been weaponized Again, it's the same thing that was used against Corbyn, and they've tried it in the States as well, and they're using it in the States at the moment against politicians that are speaking out over there. Um, and this is it goes back to Norman Finkelstein's um, Holocaust industry, um, using Jew- um, Jewish trauma um, to justify the actions of the State of Israel, really. That's what we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's just a a belief, you know, when you see uh, 300 Jewish activists arrested in the New York train station, um, and then you have members within our own Zionist community, and when, you, you know, anyone mentions Dayenu or alternative Jewish voices, she says, oh, no, they're just a small fringe. Uh, Beth Shalom, uh, the progressive synagogue in Auckland, they did surveys. Um, and in their survey, they found that 90% of Jews uh, within their community endorsed Zionism, but there was a disconnect um, they found with um, that within that community about the role of Orthodox Jews within the Knesset. Now, this was, I think it was done in 2017. It's not. Um, obviously, the Orthodox voice is a lot stronger now. However, um, yeah, they highlighted the dis- disconnect. So that sees real disconnect and ignorance on, on part of that community to the actual real politics that happen in Israel. And, you know, when I looked at that um, survey, it's a very, very fascinating survey. Marilyn from Jewish uh, Voices did highlight that, you know, it's just a small segment of the community. The, there's uh, two synagogues in Auckland, she said, that are predominantly Zionist. And I, I've had this confirmed by other friends um, that are from Israel as well, that have, you know, um, had connections, loose affiliations, and usually were turned off with the level of conservatism that they found there. They were quite shocked. Um, and then it's, and also in that same um, survey, there was only one mention of Māori, just a small mention of Māori as a statistic, just the numbers, I think it was maybe a, a 100 or 200 within that community. Now, which made me... Uh, reflect on a paper in the post-doctorate um, um, research by uh, Dr. Hadas Orr. Um, it was undertaken at the Auckland University in the, within the last 10 years, perhaps. 
I was part of helping with a little bit of that research um, just as a, um informant. I don't know if I'm able to say that, am I? You can say whatever you want. That's no, fine. Okay. <laughs> um, there was 21 informants from uh, Māori Jewish um, heritage um, that she interviewed for that her postdoctorate, and it was looking at um, Māori Jewish ethnicity. Now, I, uh, I, uh, her PhD, I, I haven't been able to find online, and I'll probably contact her to actually um, see if it's been um, actually completed yet. But she did do a paper. It's called Defiant Memory and the Infrastructure of Intimacy, um, the Thriving Homes of Māori Jews in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And she interviewed 21 um, Māori of Jewish ethnic backgrounds, and she found a wide range of different varying attitudes to our Jewish ethnicity. Now, I should um, say I was brought up in, in, a, in a whānau, Although many of them were Anglicanized, um, we're very proud of our Jewish heritage. Um, we uh, organized one of the largest Jewish um, reunions in 1986. My grandmother, uh, all my Māori whānau organized that reunion. We we're part of the Asher Keezing whānau in Aotearoa. And probably about four or five years ago, we had another large reunion, which was organized by my lovely Keezing cousins as well. But what Hadas Orr um, emphasises in her paper, The Defiant Memory and Infrastructure of Intimacy, is that there is this erasure of Māori Jewish identity in Aotearoa. You know, if we think back to when Taika um, came out and said that he was Māori Jewish and suddenly was like, what the, you know, shocked, what the? But Māori Jewish identity goes back eight generations in New Zealand. Um, and that's what she found. There's this rich tapestry of Māori Jewish identity that has flourished in Aotearoa. Um, Judith Binney in the Redemption Song, she talks about Te Kōti, um, and the prophet Te Kōti and the, um, uh, how we found the similarities between the expulsion of Jews um, to the um, impacts of colonisation on Māori. You know, that's been widely written about. And also in Hadas Orr's paper, she talks about the racism that um, Māori, actually, which is interesting within the Jewish community, but also within the uh, Fano family context. She mentions um, several um, quotes from some of her informants um, talking about this racism as well that was experienced by them. Um, there's one, uh, there's a mention by a, a Māori informant that at one um, at his grandfather's tangi, he wasn't allowed to um, hold the uh, his grandfather's coffin because he wasn't Jewish enough. Um, another Māori informant um, spoke of how being a fair Māori Jew, she was more readily accepted by her um, white Jewish grandmother, whereas her Māori mother, who was a lot darker, would be often um, told to leave the home. And this happened uh, a lot. And this is actually quite contemporary. Some of the informants were quite young, so I was actually quite shocked to read that. Um, and it did remind me of some of the tensions within my Māori Jewish whānau with our Pākehā whānau as well. And I mean tension. And there's always tension in whānau settings, family settings anyway. Um, but there is a racial underlining tension as well of us trying to... Um, understand, learn 
um, through some of our Jewish connections. Um, I've had aunties and that go back to Israel, um, make pilgrims back to Israel as well. Um, we've got a flourishing community on our Facebook, um, Asher Teasing Facebook pages, and there's a lot of information shared. Um, but going back to the um, Maori Jewish erasure in New Zealand, um, which I was actually, when a journalist shared a an article by Ben Kippers. Keeps, keeps. Keeps, sorry, um, the Maori parallel to the Jewish. Yeah, this is another one of the things that kind of came out this week, um, trying to draw these parallels right. And it, and it comes, the, the thing to keep in mind as well is it comes on the um, heels of end of last week where this really bizarre Indigenous leaders group released this statement through the Israel Institute of New Zealand, standing in solidarity with Israel, essentially. I and did, it was just... Yeah. I tend to skim read them. It's just this, yeah. This, yeah. this weird group of people that everyone's like, who, who is this? Mm. Most of these people like aren't leaders in Maoridom. And I think alternative um, Jewish voices, um, they've, they've done some deep dives there and looking yeah. into the background of some of the dubious characters within these groups. So, um, But, you know, just going into the whole aesthetics that they're presenting because you know you've got to I, I come up from it from an artist's point of view aesthetics with um any political movement mm-hmm. but the positioning themselves with the likes of brian tamaki you know david seymour that should make anyone's skin crawl um and then at the same time the double standards contradictions about arguing uh you know pink washing that we see about Israel, Israel, you know, blah, 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 the rights of the LGBTQ uh, community versus the, I don't like to use the word, but you know what I mean, uh, the 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 idea of the, the native, the angry native and the more civilised state of Israel. And, but then, yeah, how they um, side themselves with these, you know, going from Trump to people like Donald Trump. So it's, it's just extremely uh, far right position yeah it's very clear who they're aligning with in a political sense and and that's a political project you know you can't you can't divorce these groups from that Mm. um it's it's naive at best uh, Mm. to do so and it's incredibly dangerous to do so Mm. if we're talking about you know the the future of politics or the future of the region and that's why these journalists that keep um, you you see them saying things like they're very worried for the Jewish community because of the uh, pro-Palestinian movement. I'm more concerned with the Jewish community because of the likes of their actions, saying things like that. I find that extremely anti-Semitic um, because they're aligning themselves with uh, the New Zealand Jewish Council, Israeli Institute, that are in bed with the far right at the moment. By aligning themselves, when you stand on the stage with the far right, you're aligning themselves. And then the whole, the the ignorance around resistance groups like Hamas. You know, my trajectory and understanding all this, I was, we were brought up Zionist. We, we believed in the state of Israel. And uh, started at art school where um, lecturers would start questioning me on, you know, my identity um, as Jewish. I was doing work back then that looked into that, looked into the Holocaust. And then you just, yeah, you start to see a different picture, as um, Abigail at Dayenu said as well. In the last several years, she's suddenly seen the lies and hypocrisy of 
Israel and the propaganda. And we're seeing that expressed every day in the media, just the blatant lies, but that's just an, an, another thing. But sorry, going back to my point is the responsibility of journalists within the media to do their due diligence and actually start researching properly. There are scholars of Hamas, um, who is it? Is it Tariq Bakoni? He wrote the book Hamas Contained. They're being interviewed at the moment, but they don't get enough voice. And he went into 30 years of Hamas literature, word by word, minute detail, looking at the what they were actually saying and the many different reiterations of what they were saying over the years, the different charters. And this irrational fear that Hamas wants to create a state, um, that they will govern and that they will expel all the Jews from Palestine. It's not the case at all. We know that they've um, tried to um, seek a two-state resolution several years ago, um, but then uh, Israel continued their annexation of the occupied territories. That's all fact. It was denounced by the UN. Um, but the responsibility of journalists to not only look at that history, but do their due diligence and actually start reading the scholars of Hamas as well. The political project that Hamas is um, sees himself as is purely as a resistance movement. Pakoni states that their while it's complex, their intentions to form a governing body are really quite lackluster. Their ruling of Hamas has been quite lackluster on that part. And I myself, over the years, um, you know, you you watch. I think a, a lot of um, people in the West. Um, tend to um, get their information from the mainstream media, largely Western media, about who Hamas are. And it's just the same old tropes, demonising resistance fighters that we've seen in Aotearoa as well. My ancestors were demonised, were seen as rebel. This is Uh, something that uh, Dr. Adamarata spoke about as well. Oh, excellent. And that was powerful. And it needed to be heard. It needs to be said and it needs to be yelled from the ruse. You know, for years, we've been trying to get that history, the complex history of Aotearoa, taught in our curriculum. And this is part of the ignorance, part of the erasure of within our Pakia Jewish community as well, particularly a Zionist community, that they, and this is the, um, the article by Ben, it really does show that ignorance. You know, um, he states in the article about, you know, what he views as similarities between Maoris and Jews um, to the impacts of imperialism. However, our dislocation from the whenua is ongoing. I have aunties that stood in front of bulldozers in Turangi in uh, 1964 when the Turangi Township was being built. Um, The Ministry of Works came in and bulldozed Māori's home. It was in the um, Hirangi 1995 Waitangi Tribunal Report. It's all well documented. I've grown up with these stories as well. She stood in front of a bulldozer to stop her family home from being destroyed. There was other whānau that had their homes destroyed by bulldozers as well. These are stories, and then when you see Palestine, 
the bulldozers going and destroying homes. And this is recent memory within our whānau. It is a lived trauma. My grandparents were hugely dignified. They didn't talk much about this sort of thing. But I had uncles working tirelessly on the Ngāti Tufaritō Trust Board working in Tufarito settlements. We had our Ariki Hepi Tehihu, and we were only seeing some of what was stolen given back to us. And it's lived um, within us, within our family structures all the time. And on top of that, my grandmother, I've had uh, some of it in my life whenever I've identified being Jewish, the anti-Semitism. Uh, but my grandmother had it a lot. Her father had it as well. Not only was he prejudiced against from the Pākehā colonial institutions that he was dealing with in Wellington through treaty negotiations, he got it within though, his own Māori community as well. You know, he'd get told to get, you know, the Jew, half-Jew, go back to Palestine, things like that. Um, so it is a discussion to be had about Māori-Jewish identity in Aotearoa and uh, Ben Kipps article just really highlights that ignorance within the those pushing the Zionist agenda in New Zealand and their actual knowledge of actual Israel and their own knowledge of Aotearoa. It's incredible to me that it got past the editors because it just seems like appropriation, like just outright um, mm. to try and tie things together in that way with that lack of understanding. Why do you think that is? What why what would be their reasoning? Is it just because their lack of ignorance of the Jewish community as well? I like that's the most charitable, <laughs> right? Like mm. that, that and like a lack of uh, resource or a lack of um, available voices as they see it, um, a lack of time. But that that author in particular has you know they've been on RNZ, uh, they've been interviewed for other stories as well. They are being platformed with some regularity. Uh, and so maybe it was seen as a safe option to have an opinion piece by them as well. And quick me if I'm wrong, did he have a slot with Tamim on RNZ? So there was a, like a double header um, and the first half is Tamim and the second half is, is Keeps. And they edited Tamim. That, yeah, that's the one. The eh? that, yeah, it's shocking. I, it's and I still don't know exactly what the the reasons or what uh, the restrictions or guidelines around that were. But in the second part as well, um, so following Tamim's uh, uh, slot, just some of the most outrageous statements are made by Keeps, essentially conflating Palestine solidarity marches. I think he says to see to see. I, we never thought we'd see it in New Zealand or something like this, but. After October 7th, there were people marching down the street um, saying, gas the Jews. Wow. Um, and and they, they let that go. Sorry, I just did not hear it because, yeah, no, I mean, it's so not worth listening to it. I, mean, I have to listen yeah. to it because it's yeah, part of my role. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, the intent seems to have, you know, look, and I'll say, unless there were some like national front or um, otherwise marches occurring um, in that area that weren't reported on. Mm -hmm. But it seemed to be an intentional conflation between the solidarity marches um, with ex and to be claiming that they had extreme um, anti-Semitic language as part of the chants in those marches. 
uh, and that wasn't edited out. I guess we'll say that. Yeah. So, yeah. What I do notice is there is, even compared to the uh, 2014 Gaza march, there's there's very little media presence yeah. um, at those marches. I'm surprised there is there aren't more um, cameras. I, yeah. You know, this is one of those ongoing things, and I, I guess like. I think it's becoming a bit of a theme of the last few weeks of current events uh, coverage mm-hmm. that we're doing. The, I, I don't know what New Zealand media is doing. I, I genuinely, I, I'm really struggling with it. And, you know, I'd like, yeah. I, 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 apart from the fact that, you know, we know that these are colonial institutions that have like, uh, that are institutionalized towards the, the imperial core, right? That mm-hmm. they have a, a role as um, propagandists on some level. But I know there are plenty of people in there that, uh, will be pro-Palestine, you know, um, and understand how how bad faith um, and minimal coverage has been of this stuff so far. But I don't know something's going to come out at some stage. Something's got something's got to give mm. because well, we're, we're starting much. to see a shift. And I think with the UN statements in the last couple of days, seen a shift in Macron even now calling that for was fire. I was so surprised. Mm. But yeah, absolutely. And it's because it's becoming more and more egregious. And there are more uh, and more Israeli spokespeople and IDF spokespeople just outright saying they're going to do an ethnic cleansing. Mm. Um, you know, that it's, they're using stronger language than that. Mm. And the public is is getting this information at a far greater rate than I think media entities and, and politicians, you know, people in decision-making positions um, considered that they would. Uh, and, and, you know, like it's not, we are seeing some of the stuff on mainstream media mm. um, now and then, but it feels like New Zealand's ecosystem has been uniquely bad. So even in the States, you're seeing some of the stuff platformed. You know, there's been some incredible reporting out of Channel 4 News around what's happening in the West Bank and happening in Gaza. So, and the, these are, you know, institutions which are far more, uh, aligned with Western uh, imperialism um, and the military-industrial complex and anything that we have here um, with our, our little cottage media industry. Mm. Um, and yet we seem to have less independence on, on some level. Yeah, I do not know what to make of it as well. I, I you know, thought, you know, we're, we're a settler state. We've got a, a strong indigenous uh, resistance movement. movement. It's just growing. Uh, there's been a backlash to that. Um, yeah, perhaps there is a fear of focusing on the Palestinian resistance. You know, as military historians or Arab scholars of the Middle East have pointed out, October 7th will be studied in military history for generations, what they pulled off. I think as Gideon Levy, other journalists have pointed out, this is shocked not only Israel, Israeli imperial colonial project, but uh, the imperial colonial Western project to the core. People don't know what to make of it. They're shocked. It's just so horrifying that it's, it's there's so many lives. Words, words fail me. I am. Um, and look, all we can do is keep speaking out ourselves, um, mm. keep showing up uh, where we can. By the time this episode goes live, tomorrow's March. So it's sad. we're recording on Saturday. Um, the Auckland March is on Sunday this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you may have already been to it or it may have already occurred by the time you, you hear our voices. 
we've started to see more political parties, both the Greens and Te Pāti Māori, have now made very strong statements, um, alternatively calling for a ceasefire and to expel the Israeli and US ambassadors and recall the consulate from Israel. Uh, so, and and that's not being covered, which is like incredible to me. Uh, you can't have, you know, political parties that represent such a significant subsection of New Zealand making these statements and it's not making the news. Mm. Uh, and but, even there's um, Maori doctor's signatory, open letter, and Maori journalist, open letter. You know, it's it's not being yeah. talked about in the mainstream. Yeah, I, um, I saw Annabelle Mathers um, mm. posting about the uh, Maori media um, open letter. Like, there's, there's so much fantastic stuff happening at a community mm. level. Mm. Uh, and it's going to give, I, I think. It, it just has to. But, like, And some of that's just like, I hope it does. Because mm. if they get away with this, well, it's going to get really, really worse. Well, well as you say, <laughs> it's the, the the community level that we're seeing here and the drive for Māori. Um, Te Pāti Māori is just, they're not the leaders of the movement. The movement are the people, mm-hmm. and they're very aware of that. Um, the mo- And they, they tap into that. Uh, being an anarchist, I'm sceptical of political parties. <laughs> But, but you know what we're seeing is, is healthy, yeah, right? Yeah, and I feel that they do take away from um, the actions in the ground, but they reflect the actions of the ground. Um, and I see it within the Tuwhiri Tor structure. I see it within um, Te Ao Māori um, in the Te Reo curriculums um, that I've been going through over the years. Um, there is a voice from below, and it's building. Um, the new world in the shell of the old. That's what we've seen in the streets, you know, when 10,000 people hit the streets of Queen Street uh, like a couple of weeks ago. You know, it's just, it's quite phenomenal. Um, and we've seen it globally as well. Yeah, it's huge numbers. Mm. And again, it's like they're having to be at the forefront, but the number of Jewish communities that are out there saying not in our name mm. is incredible. And often the ones being arrested and censured um, most publicly. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and yeah, there's and the connection between the pro-Israel and the far right, that's just it's right there. That should, yeah, that should be so warning bells for anyone watching this. Yeah. Mm. And if you're on social media, you would have experienced this very like in your face if you've if you've made any statements mm. um in solidarity with Gaza and, and with Palestine. Well, I think that's probably as good a place to leave it as any um, before we get on to uh, anything longer. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Zaran. Uh, Rato makia tato, Hurinoa, Tena koto, Tena koto, Tena tato katoa. If people want to uh, find your work um, or find you online, where can they do that? Um, you can find me online at um, zaran.art on Instagram. I've been uh, posting photographs of the protests on there or at Zaran Southern, I think, on Twitter and zaransouthern.com as well, where I have my painting, 
as well. Because I'm a painter. That's what I do. <laughs> and I'm not getting angry at the world. <laughs> Look, we all need to take some time to get angry at the world now and then. Thank you again. Thank you to our audience for listening uh, to this today. If you want to get involved, there's, there's so much out there now. Show up. Uh, the more people in the streets, the better. Uh, it's what moves the dial. It's what gets those political parties uh, reflecting the public uh, voice. And that's what uh, eventually gets us shift in policy here. Everything else is in the summary. We'll be back middle of the week next week. Um, and if not then, for current events next weekend. We'll catch you next time. If offices are then I'm living a pointless life but learning all your lessons from your politics is no distinction the words are now it's paid with good intentions and I'll admit that I'm at a loss for what to say when they criticize the cost we ought to stay cause I live amongst the people every day Forgetful fucking rain It feels like we're on the road to hell